Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing? Hey, Lisa. I am good. It is ridiculously windy. I was telling you before we started recording, I'm in the fifth floor of my office building. It's the top floor. And I couldn't figure out where the creaking was coming from. I think it's actually the steel creaking in the wind, like the building swaying with the wind. <laughs> okay. If it starts to get really bad, just tell me and we'll, we'll just cut this conversation really, really short. I don't want you toppling over or anything. Well, I don't, I, where am I going to go? But anyway, actually, it's good that it's swaying. <laughs> it, that's, it's that's true. That way. That's true. That's true. Well, good. I'm glad to hear you're safe, even if it's bad weather. So what's the weather like where you are? Well, it's interesting. It's cold, but not um, not snowing. A lot of our snow has melted, which is kind of odd for January, but I, I'm sure it will be back. Maybe even by the time that this uh, comes out, we could be under a lot of snow. We'll see. But it's it's nice to have it be a little more mild. Yeah, well, speaking of mild, you're probably wishing it was more mild because we haven't really had a chance to chat about it here on the podcast. But earlier this month, you went somewhere with really fantastic weather. We did. We did. Russ and I have been talking and planning for a long time about trying to get away together someplace warm. And I feel so spoiled that we did it. Um, We went to an island called Isla Mujeres, which is off the coast of Cancun. And, you know, it was, it was, I kept, kept saying, it's just dreamy. Like I just would sit there and think, I cannot even believe I'm here it's so beautiful and warm and just to relax with Russ was, it was really unbelievable. But you know, it's interesting because having lived in the hard, hard, hard for so long, I feel kind of guilty that I'm able to do that. You know, that I'm able to get away when I know so many of our listeners and so many of our friends, it's impossible. But I hope that it gives people some hope to know that hard, hard, hard doesn't last forever. And there is hope at the, in the future. And yeah, so we did it. We actually went away and we had a great time. It was very, very good. The other thing about it too, is that, you know, we set our marriage as a very high priority for 2018 and we're continuing. That's probably my top priority for 2019. And it was pretty great to be able to really devote ourselves to making our marriage a top priority. We left on our trip on January 2nd and that organized checklist girl in me was like, that is so great. Just check that off. We did it. You know, I know I'm so jealous that you got to check off such a big goal. So early in the year, (laughs) I know, I know. Well, now we're, now we're breaking it into some smaller goals and trying to figure out a time to get together weekly and maybe even quarterly overnight. And if we can't actually go away, maybe we'll try to ship our kids out a little bit or I don't know, just try to keep some of that because life is even, even though we are not in huge crisis all the time, it's demanding. It's so demanding. And Russ's work is so demanding. So we want to, we want to continue what we started at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And there's really no good time to do this. Like you kind of just have to bite the bullet and decide that it's a priority and do it Mm -hmm. regardless of how well your kids are doing or what else is going, you know, there's never a perfect time to up and leave your family for six days. 
It's so true. It's so true. I mean, I felt like I was leaving and it was still Christmas and some of the kids didn't want to pack Christmas away, but I was like, guys, we have to put everything away because I'm coming home on January 7th and I cannot have Christmas still out. So the compromise was Anna Rose, who was staying with the kids said, can't we just leave the tree up? So we took everything off the tree, but the lights and left it up. And here I am January 10th and it is still in my living room. So this weekend we'll get that out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't stand that for too, too long either. Especially once it starts dropping needles everywhere. Yeah. It hasn't done that. But, you know, we cut it from our own pasture. So it was so fresh when we cut it that it's still fine. It's just that Christmas is over and I have a Christmas tree in my living room. So yeah. Anyhow, totally worth it. I'm not complaining at all. Yeah, totally worth it. Well, I am so excited for today's episode because we had talked about this a little bit in the fall and then we decided we're just going to do it. You know, between the two of us, we make up the entire three parts of the adoption triad. And so we're obviously both adoptive moms, but then you also are a birth mom or first mom. And I am an adult adoptee and a couple of people have actually suggested this to us and we were already thinking about it, but that it would be really fun for us to interview each other about our experiences and how that has shaped our experience as adoptive moms. So Excited. I'm gonna. We're gonna have to hear a little bit more about your story as a birth mom. Yeah, I'm excited too. I mean, I in some ways I I can't say I'm excited to talk about it. It's a hard thing to talk about. There's a lot of emotion there. I don't care how many years have passed, but I am glad to talk about it because I think I bring something to the adoption community with my blend of being a first mom and an adoptive mom and you bring something unique too. So it's a, it's a special thing that we have and I'm really glad for it. I know we talk a lot about our families here kind of in like snippets though. And for folks who might be new or, or haven't been following, I know you've been blogging for a long time, haven't been following your blog. Can you just kind of give us a snapshot of your family and all of your kids? Yes. So um, I had my first son, who we're going to talk about a little bit later, when I was a young teen, then met Russ and married, and together we had seven children. And um, then when our youngest, Claire, was three, we felt compelled and glad to pursue adopting two little boys, which then became two little boys and a little girl. And then when we traveled to Ethiopia, we met our other daughters. So in total, I have 12 children. Plus we had a foster daughter with us for two and a half years. She literally just left like days ago. So she sort of fits in there too. But overall, when people ask me how many kids I have, I say 12. It's, it's, uh, been quite a journey. Our oldest daughter is 31. Our youngest son is 12. And now that um, our foster daughter has moved out, we are down to three kids at home. And it is just kind of crazy for us. You know, we last night at dinner, it was just Claire and Evie and Wagayu and me and Russ. And we were like, wow, this is really strange. And of course, I cooked way too much. So I've, I've got to get oriented to this smaller family thing. Yeah, that's so funny. We're in a similar season. And I remember thinking how hard three kids was when we were building up from one, two, and three, or we you know when I talked to other families about who only have maybe an only child. And, you know, I talk about the three that we're parenting at home. Well, actually not four, but you know, three just feels so little or like we're down at one point, uh, this 
past summer, we were down to just air quotes, seven people in our house and it felt so empty, you know? So (laughs) it's funny, isn't it? The perspective. Well, and the other thing too, is I don't have anybody little anymore. I don't have anybody who needs physical care. And I just remember when my kids were all younger thinking with young kids, it's very physically taxing with older kids. It's very mentally and emotionally. And emotionally, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's mentally and emotionally with young kids too, especially if they're kids with trauma histories, but the complexities of teens and young adults is it's really, really different. I mean, I do sleep through the night, but uh, a lot of my energy goes into thinking and trying to solve problems. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Can you tell us just a little bit about what was going on in your life as a young teen and kind of just lead us a little bit through the story of your experience as a birth mom? So I became pregnant early in high school, actually was aware that I was pregnant, but hid it from my parents for quite a while. And uh, when they found out, you know, we were pretty immersed in the Catholic church and they, I, I think they must've gone to their priest. I don't know exactly how it happened from their perspective, but they knew they wanted to send me away somewhere. And I think, you know, that they, they were hoping that, um, this could all be dealt with sort of, you know, they could send me away. I could have this baby. I would put the baby up for adoption, which is what we say back then. And I would come home and maybe nobody would know in that time period. This was like the very, very end of the 1970s, which I know is so long ago. Many of you are uh, young enough to have been my child who are listening. I always tell people, if you watch, this is us, the, era when those kids were born, when the triplets were born on that show is the era we're talking about. So open adoption was coming, but not with Catholic charities, at least not with the agency, the particular agency I was with. And, you know, maternity homes were going out of vogue. So they weren't, they weren't sending all the unwed mothers or fallen girls or whatever you want to call them to these homes. And I, I don't know, I think in that gap, between it being a a big secret, send them to a maternity home and um, keep your baby and finish high school in that gap was where I fell. And so the Catholic church, what their option was, was to send me to a foster home. So that led me into the experience of being a foster youth, which is another whole part of the story. Um, And I stayed with my foster mom actually for an entire year. So I arrived there in the summer and had my son at the very, very end of December and stayed through the rest of the school year. And I think I went home the beginning of July, but sometime in June or July. And it's just occurring to me, you know, we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but I know that, you know, both of your parents were still alive up until recently um, and you still have your mom. So Mm -hmm. do you guys ever talk about this or like try to get into their head about what was going on or, or just has it been kind of brushed under the rug? Well, we've talked about my son a lot over the years, but we have not talked a lot about the experience. I think it was so traumatic and so painful for everyone that we haven't revisited a lot of it. Um, Yeah, it's just hard. And I, I think over the years, 
that I've been a parent, I've been able to, as I've matured, put myself more and more into the minds of my parents and what they were thinking and what they were afraid of for me and what they were trying to protect me from. And I really think that they were doing their best. I mean, it, it devastated me. Um, it shaped me in many, many ways. But one of the things that happened when I was living with my foster mom was I really came into a relationship with Jesus and became a Christian and fully surrendered my life to following Christ. And, you know, as a Christian, I think we're compelled to forgive. And I've just chosen to forgive my parents for the pain that came through their decisions. Um, and I think they've forgiven me for the pain that I put them through as well. So, you know, we've managed to work through it without maybe processing all the details necessarily. Yeah. So you had a closed adoption, but you did eventually get to meet your son. So how did that all come about? Oh my goodness. That is such a convoluted, crazy story. I want to Okay, I'll talk about that. And then I want to talk a little bit about grief. Yes, when my son, well, let's think about this. Okay, I had this idea in my mind that when he was 18, I would search for him, begin searching. I thought it would take years and years and years. And that I would, if I found them, him, I would reach out to his mom and just see if I could form a relationship with her, you know, find out how he was doing, let her know that I loved him and cared for him. And, and that, I mean, I had been praying for them and thinking of them literally for years and years. And they were always very present in my mind. So that was my idea. And I figured it would take a long time. So when he was about 16, I started reading books about adoption search and things like that. Somewhere I found out about this online support group, and it was just called Alt.Adoption. I mean, this was before, okay, to give you perspective, we had AOL as our email, and I had never done anything on a computer other than AOL, which AOL was still kind of new to me. We didn't have Windows or anything like that. Like we had to type in this. I can't even quite explain it because I wasn't tech savvy, but it was not like this is. So I went on this group and I just said, this is my situation. This is what I know. I know he's too young. I would not even dream of contacting him. I figure this is going to take years. I got a little bit of advice back and that was on January 13th. No, no, June 13th. 2005. I posted it in the morning. And I remember we had, you know, lots of little kids. Isaiah was six months old. So we had five pretty young kids. And I remember we watched a movie as a family. We watched Swiss Family Robinson. I remember this. And then we went upstairs to put them to bed. And I thought, you know, I'm going to see if anybody has given me any advice. So Russ was putting the kids to bed for me. And um, I logged onto the site and there was a message. And it said in the subject line, is this for real? Question mark. I'm your son. You have to remember that there was no online searching. There wasn't, it was not like it is now. There were no registries. There were no, and I about fell over and I read his email and I thought, 
he sounds like he could actually be my son. But then also immediately I thought, this is a total scam. The internet's a crazy place. It's not safe, you know. And I thought it was fake. I did not know what to think, you know. I called a friend who was an adult adoptee who had searched successfully found his birth mom. And I talked to him and he said, okay, you have to ask him some questions that a general person would not know. In the end, I mean, it's a long story, but in the end, it, he was my son. And I think that God did something. I don't totally understand all the purposes because, because he was only 16, his parents were extremely unhappy. Like, I don't want to say too many negative things, but they threatened legal action against me. They um, tried to intimidate and scare me. And a lot of that worked, <laughs> but not all. Because you know what? I, was, I passionately loved my son, and I had waited 16 and a half years. And to have him come into my life and disappear again was really, really painful. And I went through a very traumatic grief again when we did um, stop communication because of his parents. So it was a crazy, crazy story. I did not get to meet him in person. He lived, I lived at that time in Colorado and then later here in Idaho and he lived on the East coast. So we didn't physically meet for a long, long time. And, but we did eventually get to meet each other in person. Yeah. So circle back to that traumatic grief that you were talking about and, you know, having to lose him so far in the story twice, you know, once when you gave birth and kind of a little bit outside of what you had chosen, would you have wanted to, parent if you could have? Did you feel like you were forced into? Oh, yes, absolutely. I wanted to parent him. You know, I was young, but I was a very determined person. And I think I was quite mature for my age. And, but I was young enough that I needed support. And that was not coming from Catholic charities or from my parents. And I didn't know at the time, but my foster mom and I, who were still friends, um, later told me that she was told in no uncertain terms that she could not offer me any help at all. And it grieved her. I mean, she was very devastated by the experience of me losing him as well. But she was a single mom with two young kids, and she actually was afraid that somehow she might be breaking the law or something if she disobeyed that and said that she would help me. Um, so really, I had no no one to turn to. I mean, I was living far away from everybody I knew, and my parents were not going to allow me to parent and come home with my son. So I did feel very trapped. I felt that I had absolutely nowhere to turn and that I was forced into the decision. If you'd call it a decision, I don't think it really was a decision. Yeah. I, I mean, really, I've heard that is the definition of trauma, like feeling powerless, you know, a series of events where you just feel powerless and, and that manifests itself like trauma. And then, you know, to have him reach out to you, which you were never expecting. Like, what are the odds? Holy cow. I can't even begin to tell you. I like, unless you were using the internet back then, which Melissa, you are still so young, who knows, but um, it, this was not how it worked. It was nothing like today, you know? No, and, and, you know, even you just saying, like, I went to log in and check, like these days we can like pull our phones out of our back pockets and do like a quick check and then still go back to putting the kids in bed. Like it wasn't like that. Like you had to like 
boot up your computer because our computers weren't on all day long like they are no. today. And you and had it was to dial, dial up. Yeah, you had to like yeah. wait for the modem to dial up. And like there was nothing quick about checking anything on the internet. No. And, and so communicating with him was really complicated. You know, it was not a simple thing like it would be now. So, yeah, I, the thing is, in terms of grief, I think one of the things we as adoptive parents sometimes have a hard time wrapping our minds around either because we don't know what it feels like or because we can't bear to think what it would feel like to lose a child and have them taken from you, not knowing if you will ever see them again, not knowing if they will be well cared for, not knowing if they will be loved, not knowing if they might get a terrible illness and die, not knowing anything. It was the most unresolved grief. I can't, you know, trying to come to have peace about that was, it was not really possible for me. I mean, I thought of him, I cried. Well, the first couple of years were the worst of course. And, but even when he was older, you know, his birthday, Mother's Day, all those days were just quite devastating for me. So then when he came back into my life, it was like, like so profoundly, deeply fulfilling, but because we weren't able to continue communicating and things, I felt like I relived that loss again. And I really needed help. I really, really did. But it wasn't easy to find back then, you know? So I joined a, um, I found a support group called Adoptees in Search in Denver. And it was the whole triad. And I found people there who did understand and who wanted to reform adoption. There were adoptees that were really, really angry that they didn't have access to their birth records and their medical records. And there were birth parents who were really distressed that they didn't know anything about their children. And then there were adoptive parents. Of course, most of the adoptive parents there were trying to be helpful or they were trying to understand their own kids and their kids' journeys. So it was, that was a big support for me. Yeah. And I know you talked a little bit about this. Um, if anyone listened to your interview with uh, Jamie Finn on her podcast, but what was that journey like going from that environment where there were a lot of people angry about how adoption works or angry because of their own stories and it's kind of still grieving that, um, how did that impact when you guys decided your, or even your decision to adopt? You know, the thing about grief and deep, deep pain is anger feels better, <laughs> you know, and we know that with our own children. Right. Um, and so I did become quite angry as I began, as the layers kind of peeled away. And as an adult, as I began to look back and see the manipulation and the lies, I mean, outright lies, that were told to me in order to really coerce me to sign papers. And, and my son's parents were lied to too. There were just lies all the way around. You know, I think a lot of these agencies, they believed that they, that a single mom could never raise a child. A young single mom could never raise a child as well as these worthy adoptive parents. And they chose to do what they had to do to accomplish that. And I, there is, there are huge ethical dilemmas here. <laughs> yeah. I, I think what happened was terrible to me and to a lot of other people. I mean, I got to know so many other birth moms who had 
horrible stories, sad, sad stories, and adoptees too. So yeah, I became a very angry person about it. And I believe, and I still believe in a lot of adoption reform. I think adoptees have the right to their records. I think they should know. And and I don't believe anybody for any reason should ever be coerced into placing a child. So that really, I, I really, uh, it's hard to even say this, but I'm just going to say it. I hated adoption. I hated what it had taken from me. And I remember um, my pastor actually at the time was an adoptive father. And I remember him saying to me, you know, adoption is such a beautiful thing. And I said, well, I suppose it depends on if you're on the giving or the receiving end. And that's, that was the truth, you know? So I never would have believed that I would become an adoptive mom. I think I'm an unlikely, very unlikely adoptive mom. So yeah, when we went into the adoption process, I honestly could not even hardly use the word adoption. Like on all my files where I was keeping paperwork, I did not write adoption. I just wrote Ethiopia. So, and I knew that I could not adopt a child with a living parent. I could not be any part of bringing pain onto another mother. I only wanted to adopt a truly orphaned child. Well, you and I know (laughs) that uh, sometimes things don't go quite the way we think they will. And again, there's dishonesty and corruption and adoption even today. And so uh, one of my children did end up having a living mother. And I think my experience as a first mom, a birth mom, really compelled me to make my children's adoptions as open as possible. So we traveled to Ethiopia and we searched for family for each one of our kids and each one of our children, we were able to locate living family and we gave them all of our contact information and, you know, contact has been very limited, but um, not by us. You know, we are wide open. And um, so it did happen that one of our children had a living parent and that was not my plan in any way at all. But I think that was how God directed it. And, but my heart is very, very open to her. Yeah. That's amazing. I I mean, I was thinking about that. You were probably thinking, you know, when you guys adopted from Ethiopia about some of the ethical issues and, you know, really wanting to make sure of the stories and all that even more. So, I mean, it's come up in the news a lot in more recent years about ethical practices in international adoptions, which, you know, it's a little bit, it can be harder to have an open adoption, um, especially in a country like Ethiopia, both you and me both have kids from Ethiopia. And so it's just so different, but sometimes there's corruption we don't even know about, you know, I mean, there's just so many layers. There's things that we, that I've learned, you know, years into this that just have really changed my perspective and shaped things. And one of our children came to us with things in her story that weren't true, you know, like, you know, and I don't know, you know, we'll never know like whether it was a cultural miscommunication or, you know, an actual deception. I mean, it's just so, there's just so many layers. So there are, there really, really are. And it's, you know, I had a very, I mean, I told our agency, I will not adopt a child with a living parent. And yet it did, it happened, you know, uh, recently i came upon a picture of our child with his mother where she's holding him. And it was a picture that I took when we were in Ethiopia and I put it in a frame and put it in his room. And 
you know, these things, it's these relationships, we are meant to be bonded to our first parents. It's the way God wired us. It's the way, I mean, this is a, it's the way it was meant to be. And sometimes that bond is fractured and there is no getting around the grief. You know, there's just no getting around it for either the parent or the child. And I know that all adoptees are different in how they process that. And we'll get to talk about your story, Melissa, too. Um, For my son, it was very, very hard. He longed to have connection with me. He longed to know who I was. He longed to know more about himself. And so some of those conversations were really kind of fun to have, like, he was adopted into a family with a very strong um, cultural heritage that he felt kind of different and he looked quite a bit different. Um, so it was, it was a nice thing for him to find out more about himself and his story. And yeah, it's, it's been, I feel like in the oddest way, like adoption has shaped my life more than anything else. And I'm not even an adoptee, but it has apart from my relationship with Christ and my relationship with Russ, adoption has really shaped my life in so many ways. And it shaped the life of all of my children now, both my children that were adopted, my, and then my oldest son, and then my kids who were born into my family, and then their lives were so dramatically changed by adoption. So adoption is just woven through my life. The day before we aired this, we reached out to our Facebook group and kind of ask them if they had things that they were curious to know about you. And I'm sure this will be an ongoing conversation there. Um, But one listener asked if you had had the opportunity for an open adoption as a birth mom, what would you have wanted most for that relationship? And I know we didn't really close the loop here either. There's more of the story after you guys first had contact at 16. So do you want to just kind of talk about like what you would have wanted for that relationship and then kind of how things ended up at the end. So what I would have wanted when my son was born, is that what you're asking in terms of? Yeah. If you had had the opportunity to be open with him from the time he was born, what would you that have looked like? And then kind of like maybe wrap the story up for us about what happened after you lost contact again when he was 16. First of all, yes, absolutely. If I had still been um, forced to place my son for adoption, I would definitely have wanted openness. Um, First of all, I think adoptive parents who are truly, truly accepting and open to having a relationship with birth family, they're coming to adoption from a different place. Not all adoptive parents can do that, will do that. But I think had my sons, had that been a possibility, I think that if I had said that was a requirement, he would not have ended up with the family he had because openness was not at all what they wanted. Um, so I would have, there would have been parents that would have been, had a different mindset, first of all. Secondly, I, I would have wanted my son to know he was absolutely loved. And, you know, I wrote letters to him. It turned out they were never given to the parents. Oh, so many things. He really didn't know. He didn't know any of the circumstances. So had we had relationship, you know, this, there would have been a flow to it. And I do believe that children um, have a great capacity to love. And he wouldn't have had too many people loving him if I'd been able to be in his life. You know, I was young and I was grieving. And so I don't think it would be easy for any adoptive parent to, to deal with so much emotion. But if we can acknowledge 
relationship and love and have openness, I definitely think it's better. You know, um, there'd have to be some structure in place around that, you know, to make it a healthy relationship for everybody. And of course, we know that not all first families are safe for our kids. And so it, it can't always be this ideal openness that I would want. As much as it's possible for the health of the child and safety, I think openness is extremely important. I think it's important to note here too that openness isn't the easy path. And sometimes it doesn't feel like the best path because it's so hard. You know, relationships messy, extra relationships are hard. Relationships in this capacity where you're talking about two moms, two families, that just kind of ups the ante for everything. And there's transition there. You know, we know from talking to other families and from our own experiences that birth family visits, even if they're positive with folks who are safe, you know, in the moment or in general, still bring up grief. Yes. In the birth parents and our kids. Do you have any thoughts on that on just like how sometimes it seems counterintuitive that this is best because it seems to like stir the pot? Mm. Well, just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad. You know, ultimately when we look at our kids and we think, oh, you know, when we have a visit with the birth mom, you know, my child doesn't sleep, my child cries, things like that. That's really hard to see as an adoptive mom. But if we can look at it over the long, you know, the whole length of our child's childhood and adolescence and teen years and young adult years, I believe that by having openness, we are building a trust. You know, we're building trust for our child in us. Like, I am so safe and loved with my parents, with my adoptive parents, that they can also allow me to love my first mom. You know, I am so secure. They are so secure. There's a lot of safety and trust there. So even if it's rocky and hard, you know, life is rocky and hard and our kids are going to go through so many hard things in their lives. But in terms of the long-term benefit, I think it's worth it. I think that's important to hear. And I'm even thinking, you know, sometimes when we go visit our daughter who's staying with another family right now, it stirs the pot. And we've been tempted to say, maybe we shouldn't do these visits anymore. But even just this conversation is making me think, no, it's still the right thing. Like we have committed to this connection with her and um, of course, that's easy for me to say, because once we start the pot, we leave. So we're, in a lot of ways, we're playing the role of a first family or birth family in our situation. But um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's interesting to think about. How does being a birth mother, is there any other way that being a birth mother has impacted you as an adoptive parent besides your sensitivity to making sure that your kids, if possible, have an open relationship with birth family and then vice versa, you know, now that you're an adoptive parent, does it change the way you look back on your story? Hmm. Oh, wait, I mean, you didn't close and you didn't tell us the rest of the story. So now I'm like three questions deep for you to catch up. <laughs> Where do you want me to go first? Tell the rest of the story. Well, it's, it's long and it's, it's uh, messy, but the, the highlights are that my son would reach out to me periodically and, um, when he was a little older, we had a lot more communication. It was still, he, he had a lot of struggles, you know? And so it was not without complication. Even when he was free, he did not feel free. 
to have a relationship with me. He did eventually, he came to Idaho and uh, we were able to meet in person. He came and spent time with us and then went back home and then again came out another time. And so, you know, it was a, it was a very complicated relationship, but my goal in it was to be a constant presence of love and support for him. You know, I did try to have a relationship with his parents. His mom came to Idaho once and we sat down at Starbucks of all things and had a conversation and I, I felt like it went well, but, um, his parents have never been open to communication with me. So we had had a lot of, when, I think when we adopted, it was a little bit hard for him. It was interesting because when Calcidon was struggling so much and she went to residential treatment, that was really hard for him because he had been in a number of programs as a young person and actually kind of terrible, corrupt programs. And one of them, there was actually, um, they, they were closed down. They lost their license and things because they were so, they were not good. But anyhow, he was very, very worried about her. He found it very hard to believe any kind of residential program would be safe and would be good. So we talked a lot during that time. And then um, when we lost Calcidon in the accident, he was deeply, deeply uh, moved and connected a lot with me. I think he realized that he could have lost me. And he started calling a lot, lot more. We were in a lot of contact and um, we were planning a trip. I was going to go and see him that fall of 2015. And we lost Calcadon, you know, in, at the end of December. And then um, at the end of June, he died very unexpectedly. So I did not get to see him again. And that is very, very sad. Yeah, I remember I was following your blog and I just remember thinking, man, does it ever end? You know, because that was a hard, hard year for you guys. Um, yeah, it was terrible. It was, I mean, I was still recovering from the accident. I was still in shock in a lot of ways. The grief had not fully even hit with Calcadon. I mean, it it was huge, but it got actually worse to lose him. And, and again, because I was um, not accepted by his family, I was not informed by them. I was, none of my family was included in um, his service or anything. And that was really hard on my adult kids because they had a relationship with him too. And they were very upset. Some of them that they weren't even allowed to go grieve and, attend that that service and so yeah it's been a very unresolved painful part of my life I think that I just have to trust God a lot with so yeah lots of grief and loss especially that year but it's been it's been something yeah oh gosh um I mean you could probably do a whole podcast just on grief because grief is such a common theme in adoption stories because because there is loss, no matter how you swing it, how you look at it, can't have an adoption without a loss. So that's right. I mean, adoption is rooted in, sadly, it's rooted in tragedy of some sort, you know, separating a mother and child is, is tragic. It's, it's a huge loss. 
It, well, and another aspect of grief that we sometimes talk about, but is a little bit different. So we've got grief on the side of the adoptee. We've got grief on the side of the birth family. We may have grief on the adoptive parents' part over what they hoped for, what they dreamed of. And then for our family, there was a lot of grief in how much we um, were forced to change the family that we were and become something new. That was a painful, painful process for us. And I grieved a lot for um, the family that we'd been and could no longer be. Yeah. So I'll, I'll swing back around to a question I asked before, which is how did becoming an adoptive parent, did that change, you know, what you thought of birth mothers or, you know, being a birth mother? Um, obviously you talked about, you know, wanting your kids to maintain openness, but how does having two thirds and really in some ways, not just two thirds, because you've also lived the life of a foster child and there's some of that, that um, that you understand as well. Like, so you really have like almost the entire triad, you know, you can kind of look at things from all these different angles. So, you know, how has that affected you and what would you want adoptive moms to know from your perspective? You know, it took me a while to wrap my head around the fact that adoption can be beautiful and there are beautiful parts of, of being able to step into brokenness and be part of that healing process. And I had to remember that adoptive parents can be good people. <laughs> you know, um, my best friend, when we decided to adopt our kids from Ethiopia, my best friend at the time was an adult adoptee. Had a great relationship with her adoptive family and had successfully searched for her first mom and had a good relationship with that with her. And yet when I told her that we were planning to adopt from Ethiopia, she half jokingly said, you're crossing over to the dark side. Our thoughts at that point about adoption as a whole were so negative that it was really, really hard to think of us stepping into that role. Um, so I've been forced, to, despite maybe not wanting to, God has redeemed and restored adoption for me, even though I was not necessarily super willing and happy for that to happen, you know? But um, the other thing I think being a birth mom does for me is it gives me just a very different perspective probably on my kids and their feelings for their first families. It's so weird sometimes to be pulled in both directions as a birth mom and an adoptive mom. Like one day, one of my kids said something to me about um, his real mom <laughs> and, uh, and talked about how someday when he grew up, he wanted to go back to Ethiopia and live with her and take care of her. And he wanted to know, you know, when we were going to take him back. And um, actually, at that point, he wasn't even talking about when he was growing up. He just wanted to know, you know, when, do you, when are you taking me back to my real mom? And as his adoptive mom, like it pained my heart. Like, I am your real mom. You know, I didn't say any of this. I'm talking all the process that was flooding through my mind at the time. And that maybe, maybe his feelings for her were so strong. And what did that mean for me? And, you know, this is all in an instant, you know. And then the birth part, birth mom part of me was like, yes, he gets it. <laughs> he knows that there's this other mom who loved him first, who knew him first, and, and he can love her, and that's beautiful. So literally, I have to walk with both those mindsets and somehow integrate them together. 
and it's complicated. <laughs> it's not <laughs> at all. But I do try to remain very, very open to my kids for conversation about first family, supporting them fully in their desire to know their first families. Um, you know, I mentioned I got this photo out and put it in a frame and my child, my son proceeded then to sleep with that every night for quite a while. And I had to make myself think this is a good thing. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. You know, like he wants connection with her and that is good because it brings more wholeness to him as a person to know who he came from, who, where he's going, who he is. He is both fully her son and fully our son. I mean, that is the truth. And to be able to integrate those together, I think my, my role, my experience pushes me to do that probably more than a lot of other adoptive parents um, would just because I have different insight into it. Yeah, I think that story is so powerful. I think it's the perfect illustration of just the tension that you have to live in and really that we live in just in the adoption world. There's so much you know, Rebecca Volley in her episode talked about a wedding and a funeral in the hospital. Yes. There's so many parts of adoption that are broken and there's so many parts that are beautiful and it's all happening at the same time. Like, you know, wrapping your head around it kind of makes it want to explode. <laughs> so it, I think it does. I mean, sometimes we just have to sit in the fact that there's just tension. It's messy. It's not clean cut. Right. Right. We do. And I think as a, as a Christian, I have to think a lot about the fact that God is in the messy. He is in the broken. He is in the complicated. Um, this is not too big for him or too hard for him. Like, and we as adoptive parents get to step into this and bring restoration as much as we possibly can to the brokenness because the birth family is completely vulnerable. They have no rights. They have no power. They have, you know, they have very little in this and our child, you know, their child. So it is our responsibility, I think, to bring healing and wholeness in any way that we can and to not be afraid of it. You know, I think we have to be so careful as adoptive moms not to be afraid to let our children go into those hard places and to go there with them and to support them as they process this true grief and loss that they have. That's good. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story, for being vulnerable. Um, I know it's going to be really helpful for all of our listeners. It was helpful for me. I think my head's spinning with different things that I haven't considered. And, and so I don't know. I just really appreciate your perspective. Um, and I appreciate you as a friend. Thank you. And, you know, I just wanted to say that what our listeners don't know, what you all listening don't know, is that there was a point where we had to pause this whole interview because I was too tearful to talk. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of emotion in adoption and that's okay. It is okay to have strong feelings and to grieve and cry and all of those things. So thank you for listening. I think this was long and I feel like maybe it was a little bit too sad, but um, if you've listened to the end, thank you for hearing my story and bearing witness to it and just being part of our lives here at the Adoption Connection. Yeah. And I just wanted, before we close, uh, we had some listeners ask you some other questions that were more related to siblings, which is another topic that you're super, super passionate about. Um, you had an opportunity to interview Anna Rose, one of your daughters by birth, 
um, on a previous episode. That was episode five. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to that, I'm sure we'll be chatting more about siblings here in the future, but we really wanted to kind of hone in and, and just focus in on your experience as a birth mom um, for this particular episode. So uh, the show notes, as always, can be found at our website, theadoptionconnection.com slash 23. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.